All right, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. I don't know about you, but it doesn't really feel like Christmas is in three days. Does anybody else feel like that? Can resonate with that? Like, what happened? And it's already the new year, and uh, last year for our youth life group, we uh, put together, I don't know if any of the youth remember, but our goals for 2019, and like, I haven't completed any of them. So (laughs) I'm like, can 2020 like wait a month or two, and then maybe I'll finish my goals Uh, But in a lot of ways, it feels like it's not Christmas. Um, And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to, like, force myself to be in the Christmas spirit because I can be more of a um, Scrooge sometimes or a Grinch sometimes, right? Like, where um, I just get frustrated or I get mad or I have so many things to do that I'm just kind of overwhelmed. Um, And so for me, because I'm a millennial, I Googled um, how to make it feel more like Christmas. And so I don't know if any of these things resonate with you or you can relate to them. Uh, But if you can, please let me know. Uh, Google gave me 11 things, uh, and the first thing is turn on the holiday tunes. Come on now. Christmas music, right? That's the way to get into the spirit. Um, Watch some old school Christmas cartoons or movies. Make some hot chocolate or eggnog. Throw a holiday party. Uh, Watch a Christmas movie. Uh, This past Friday, we had a few students over, and we all watched the Christmas movie. We forced them to watch uh, Frosty the Snowman. Uh, because that's one of my favorites, so we forced them to watch that cartoon, and then we watched the ALF after that, which I'm not a big fan of, but um, they wanted to watch it. So um, another thing it says, read some Christmas classics, um, look at Christmas lights. I don't know if anyone likes to drive around and look at the Christmas lights, or there are little pockets around our city or the peninsula where they like really get into Christmas, and you kind of go. Uh, it was a tradition when Sarah and I first started dating, and we were in SoCal, there would be a lot of like little cities where they would all be decked out in Christmas lights, and it looked awesome. So every Christmas we would go, grab some hot cocoa, walk around, and it was just kind of a way to get in the spirit. Uh, you got to put up a tree. Um, How many people have not done that yet? We're all all good? Okay. Uh, We know what you're doing today. So uh, plan a fun holiday-themed outing, go see a Christmas carol or play, and then do some sort of service. Uh, but for me, as I was thinking about that, there are really three things for me that I need personally in order for it to feel like Christmas. The first thing is I need my home decorated. And I get, I get, not have to, I get the awesome privilege of decorating our home. So Sarah doesn't do it, but I get to do it. So that's really awesome for me. And I love putting up all the stuff. But primarily, I need my Christmas lights that I've had since I was five years old. And they go around the tree, of course, but then they play um, a tune to some like Christmas songs. Uh, when it turns on. And like for me, that just reminds me of every Christmas I've ever had since I was like five years old. So for me, I definitely need that. And a fun tradition that my wife and I do every Christmas is we watch all the Harry Potters uh, together. Um, The good ones, not the Fantastic Beasts. We watch the Harry Potters and that makes us the um, really big Harry Potter fans. So, uh, um, uh, but in a lot of ways, or in some ways, none of these are really how we get into the Christmas spirit, according to what Jesus says, right? This is like Christmas to our culture. It's like all of these things, the lights, the presents, the outings, the Christmas songs that don't talk about Jesus, right? Like these are the things that we need to do in order to get in the Christmas spirit. But today, we're going to talk about how do we prepare for the Lord, which And sometimes we don't do that in the busyness of our Christmas season, although the pinnacle of Christmas is Jesus, right? But we don't celebrate him. I remember when I was younger, about um, maybe 19 or so, so long ago, uh, when I was 19, and it was Christmas morning, and I was with all of my family, and I have a really big family of cousins, like 
a whole bunch of people. It's like 40 of us in a room, and we have a tradition where, um, I don't know why we do it, but we start off from the youngest, or we'll start from the oldest, and we'll go down or we'll go up, and everyone will open up their Christmas presents um, individually. And so when I was younger, like around eight or so, it was awesome, because like I was young, and I went first, and there were only like 10 of us. But now that I was like 19, there were 40 of us, and I wasn't the youngest anymore. So I was always in the middle. Um, if we started young, going down, or, or, or vice versa. And I remember that there was this one time where my little cousins are opening up the gifts, and they're just ripping it off, and they're just so excited, and we just ate a good breakfast, and I'm sitting next to my cousins, and I'm laughing, and I'm joking, and it's like this really like great time that you kind of see in the Christmas movies, and I kind of sit there, and I think like, like, this isn't Christmas, because I knew in my heart of hearts that although I was filling my time and my schedule with all of these things, I was kind of missing it at the same time, because I was so filled with, okay, I go to my Christmas in the beginning of the day, then I go to Sarah's Christmas, and then we kind of relax at night, and throughout all of these things, I'm missing the point, right? I'm missing Jesus. So in a lot of ways, although I'm celebrating Christmas, I'm really missing Christmas at the same exact time, and I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I feel like that quite often. So as we kind of continue our Advent season, or for those who don't know what Advent is in our Christian culture, uh, we celebrate and prepare for both the celebration of Jesus coming um, as a baby, and we also celebrate Jesus coming back. And so it's just a time of uh, focusing in on him, a lot like Lent, but during our Christmas season. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard says this, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be understood forwards. And for where we are in our faith, a lot of times the only way we can really understand what's going on in our culture, in our Christmas or Christian tradition, we have to look backwards. But once we see that backwards and once we believe that, we know that it can only be lived forward. So our hope is that we're going to be celebrating Christmas, our Advent season, and preparing for the Lord. And we're going to um, hang out in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles you want to open up, the verses will also hopefully be on the screen. So we're going to read a few verses, and usually uh, we're going to look a little bit different into them. We're not going to do the usual um, Jesus was born of a virgin. You guys know that story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're not really going to necessarily talk about that today, but we are going to talk about a very specific verse in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 6. I'm going to read a few verses, then I'm going to pause and read, and we're just going to read through the story together. So it's this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. They were both very old. So here we have our two main characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and God calls them righteous in his sight because they followed his commands. But then we have the problem, right? The dilemma is that they couldn't have kids Um, Elizabeth couldn't bear kids, and now that they're both older, it's kind of impossible to have kids. So verse 8, it says this, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, because Zechariah was a priest, uh, was on duty and he was serving, it just says that right here, as a priest before God, it was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So it was Zachariah's turn to go into the temple to burn some incense um, and to be in there. And so everyone else was praying outside, so it's just him in the temple by himself 
verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was grippled, gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, right, and when people tell you this, you automatically listen. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered, has been heard. Your wife, Zach Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And so as Zechariah is continuing the tradition, and maybe it's mundane for him, or, or maybe it's just something that they do because he's a priest, and it's just a continual thing, kind of like us in our culture with Christmas. We have the things that we need to do, right, and the things that we have to do, and the parties that we go, and the parties that we plan, right? But it's so interesting here, God kind of interrupts him. And I think a lot of the times in our busyness, we kind of need a God interruption. Or when we receive that God interruption, we need to listen to it. Instead of, okay, that's great, but I'm just going to move on because I have a lot of other things I need to do. But the angel appears and interrupts. In verse 14, it goes on and says, "Um, because you will bear a son, you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people to the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And verse 17, this is kind of where we're going to camp out for the rest of the day, just in this one verse. And we're going to talk about how it kind of unpacks a lot of things for us now in 2019, soon to be 2020. Uh, Verse 17 says this, the angel is talking about John the Baptist, and he says, And John will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so our first point that we're going to talk about is how God prepares the way. So in verse 17, in that first portion, it says, and he, John the Baptist, will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so it's so interesting as um, I was kind of thinking about this verse, it's just like a random thing. They're talking about John and then they're going to talk about Jesus and randomly they kind of throw in Elijah like an Old Testament guy. And why do they do that? So when they do that, I think of two things here. God intentionally, of course, put Elijah's name in there for us to pause and think for a little bit. And then also there's a reference, so it must be important. So because God put his name in there, I think he wants to reference that he's fulfilling promises already from the beginning of the Christmas story, right? Because at the beginning of the Christmas story, it starts with John. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, I'm already fulfilling the promises that I have, and look, I'm going to continue to do that as Jesus is born. So in Malachi, uh, what's really cool about the story of Jesus is right before Jesus came, right before this angel appeared to Zechariah and Elizabeth, there were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament prophets to Jesus. That's a long time where God wasn't speaking to the prophets. He wasn't writing any um, new uh, books in the Bible. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. And so there was silence, right? And they had the law and they had the Old Testament books, but it was kind of a period of silence. And so here God breaks the silence. But as we look back to the last Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this, 400 years prior to John the Baptist. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what the angel told Zechariah about what John was going to do? I'm going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, right? And those who are not wise, I'm going to lead them to wisdom. And so what's cool about this is God is already answering promises because God is inherently a promise keeper. And so then that gives us hope right where we're at, right? The promises that he has given us of life and life everlasting, right? The promises that he's going to be with us always, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Those promises in a lot of ways are coming true when Jesus comes. And so although we go through our seasons and anxieties are high and fears are high and we're just unsure and our bank account is low, right? We, we kind of have to think and remember God's promises for our lives and that he is a promise keeper. The second thing is when we think of John the Baptist, we have to think of Elijah, right? Um, so uh, if we think about Elijah back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, we're not going to read the long story, uh, but it was basically Elijah um, was at Mount Carmel and there were about 450 prophets of Baal there and it was just the prophet Elijah. And so as they're both standing there, there was a wager uh, basically to see which God was real. Was the God of Baal going to be real or was the God of Elijah going to be real? So each of them was given the task. You can build your altar. You can call on your God. Whoever lights the fire from heaven, that is the true God. So they made the deal. They went on their way. Elijah said, you can go first. So all the 450 prophets of Baal, they create their altar. They build it. They cry out to their God. They start cutting themselves. They're yelling. They're running around. They're doing all the things that they can't. Hours and hours go by. They're just cutting themselves. Nothing is happening. And there Elijah is standing. Now he's a little scared probably, a little nervous. Now it's his turn. So what he does is he builds the altar and then he builds a little trench around his altar. And he prays and he cuts up the animal and he sets the animal. And then before he prays and he looks up to God, he tells them, grab three buckets of, of large water and dump it on the altar. I don't know about you. I'm not an outdoor guy, but if you want to start a fire, usually water won't be helpful, right? That won't be helpful. And so here is Elijah in front of the 450 prophets. There he's standing and boom, they splash the first bucket. Now it's wet. The second bucket. The third bucket and the trench around um, this altar before God is now just completely drenched. And then he prays to heaven and he looks up. And then God sends fire and lights it. And so when it's talking about here how John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, what it's really telling us, although it's telling us a few things, is Elijah was sent back then to prepare people for Jesus to turn back from what they're doing and seeing that Yahweh is the real God, right? He's the God of heaven and earth and worthy to follow. And so when he did that, God did that to glorify himself and to let people know that he is the true God. There's no competition. Nobody can stand up against him. And then we have John the Baptist who comes before Jesus and says he will be great, right? He's going to turn people's hearts and he's coming in the power and spirit of Elijah. So what is that saying? John is pointing to Jesus. And saying, he's the guy you need to follow, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, right? He's preparing their hearts in the power and spirit of Elijah. But if you're anything like me, I am very slow uh, to turn to God in a lot of ways, um, although I know that I need to follow him, although I know that I, he is the way to go. So Elijah is pointing people to God. John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah is pointing people towards Jesus and us now, right, that's why we come to church, to point us toward Jesus. 
are we, right where we're at in, in our homes and in our works, are supposed to point towards Jesus. I remember when I was in high school, there was a really close friend that I had, and his name was James. And every day, me and my friend, not every day, uh, but most days we would talk to him about Jesus, and we would have full-on conversations about faith, about why we believe, about why it's important, why it's good for him. Um, and we would invite him to church, and he would always say, no, no, no. Um, and he would kind of choose the other path, right? He would choose what the world is doing. And he kept saying no, but he was really open to conversation. And so me and my friend, we would always talk to him. Um, and then we graduated. And I kind of didn't see him for a while. And then two years later, there was a thing before Instagram called MySpace. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have had it, but on MySpace, he messaged me, uh, James, and he says, hey, John, how are you? Are you still a Christian? And so I'm like, wow, what a cool opportunity, right? Like just setting it up for me. Now I can tell him all about Jesus because he brought it up. And so I emailed him back. I was like, hey, James, how are you? Good to hear from you. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a believer. Like, and then I just went off on, like, why Jesus is great and, like, why, like, he should come visit my church. And I'm, like, trying to, like, invite him. And then he just responds, oh, that's cool. Um, I actually accepted Christ uh, last week, and I wanted to tell you about it because of what you told me in high school has stuck with me until now. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. And so a lot of the times we won't know what we're doing or what we're saying. And a lot of times Elijah was pointing people to God, to Jesus. This miracle came down from heaven, right? And yet sometimes people didn't believe. And Jesus is, or John is pointing people to Jesus and yet they're not believing, right? But that brings us to our second point is to turn our hearts to him, Romans chapter 3 says this before we get into the next portion. For although they knew God, uh, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But by their thinking, they became futile and foolish. Hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served God rather than the creator who is forever praised. And oftentimes I can get it mixed up where I can worship the created instead of the creator. I can be thankful for the things that I, I, that I have and not the person that blessed me with it. Um, and so as John continues or the angel talks about, he's going to turn your hearts over to him. In the next portion in, in verse 17 it says this, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What's so interesting about this, the angel could have said anything about John, and yet he specifically focused on these two things, parents to their children, disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And really quick, I just want to lay out for you all the cool things that John did that the angel could have mentioned that he did not mention. Number one is that uh, John lived in the desert, uh, he wore a garment of camel's hair and, le um, and wore a leather belt, and he ate wild honey. So he looked kind of like a wild, crazy guy out in the wilderness. Um, he baptized Jesus. Um, he uh, lived a life of decrease, right? He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus called him, out of all the people born, uh, man, John is the greatest, right? Like that's a high praise, um, and he was one of the first um, martyrs um, after Jesus revealed himself. And I don't know about you, but those are really cool things. Maybe not the eating honey and living out in the wilderness, but the other things are like pretty good for your Christian resume. But yet the angel didn't say any of those things. Instead, he talked about two things, 
turning the hearts of their parents to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous. And so I just want to pause really quick in the message and kind of talk about what these things mean, right? What does it mean to turn the hearts of the parents to their children? As I've been in youth ministry now for going on 10 years, a little bit over, um, I'm continually reminded that parents, you guys have the most influence over your children more than anything else. Um, And you may not believe that, but you do. More than culture, more than social media, uh, more than what they hear from their um, cool youth group leaders, <laughs> like more than, more than all of those things, you guys carry the influence if you choose to carry it, right? And so here John is saying, turning the hearts of the parents to the children. And you guys kind of know my story. I didn't really grow up with my parents, but I grew up with my grandma, and she set a great example of being there and being available. And always, like even when I was an annoying and frustrating rebellious teenager, she still loved me through that. And so parents, I just want to encourage you really quick to keep holding on to that, right? You carry that influence and God is using you and working through you. So be intentional with that time of conversations, of turning off the TV and turning off these things and spending time with them. Because at the end of the day, what teenagers want is they want your time, is they want your love, is they want your heart and they want to hear from you more than anything else in the world. Um, And the second thing it says is turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And that's what we have to do as a generation is turn people to Jesus. And then the last part in John chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1 verse 17, it says this. And I'm going to reread the whole verse. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make people uh, prepared for the Lord. To circle back to my first point, when I googled what makes it feel like Christmas, last week I was walking my dog down the street, and so this is a few days ago, and I saw somebody outside in the rain at about 8 p.m. setting up uh, the lights outside of his house and decorating the tree in front of his house, and the first thing I thought was his loved one has probably been asking him to do that for like two weeks, <laughs> and he's like barely doing it last week. I was like, he's not going to even enjoy the lights, but I think it's so funny, us as a culture, we spend so much time decorating and preparing for Christmas, preparing for the parties, going shopping early, buying the presents early, taking so much time and energy and money that we spend into preparing for this holiday, but yet at the same time, we're not preparing ourselves for Jesus. And I get convicted when I think about how much time I've spent preparing for the parties that we've hosted or the Christmas things that we've done for youth ministry, or all of these other things that we have going on, or the presents we need to buy, or the wrapping that needs to be done, and yet how much time am I preparing to receive Jesus, right, and to be prepared to celebrate that, the pinnacle of Advent in just four days. I don't know if you're convicted like me when when I say that, but I know that I am when I was writing it and when I'm saying it now. And so even though Christmas is in three days, four days, like, don't forget to prepare yourselves for Jesus and, and not prepare for other things. And it's okay if the food isn't ready when people get there and you spent time in the morning with Jesus. And I love what Gladys said as she talked about, before you open gifts on Christmas morning, spend time with Jesus. And so be that light in your home and prepare your hearts for Christ amidst our culture that is screaming more, 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 and do, 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 and fill up your calendar. I just want to encourage you to prepare your hearts for the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. 
Um, Lord, I am thankful for today and for who you are. I'm thankful that we get to gather together in this community. Um, I'm thankful for your word and your scripture, uh, that you answer promises. And you yourself are a promise keeper. Uh, You give us hope and you give us life. I pray that as Advent season comes to a close, that we are preparing our hearts and our minds to receive you, not just receive the gifts, not just receive the family members that come, but receive you and what you have for us uh, today and forever. We're grateful for you. We're thankful that we get to gather. We're thankful for this cozy Sunday and for electricity. In Jesus' name I pray.